0: A wise teacher once said, there are two things that you can do with history. You can ignore it or you can learn from it. A cynic once said, there's one thing we have learned from history and that is that we have not learned anything from history. George what was thinking of them, I think, when he said, those who cannot remember the past are destined or condemned to repeat it. History gives us several examples of that, right? People who... Did not learn from past mistakes, their ancestors or just those well-known events in history, mistakes, people that didn't learn from those mistakes and then went on to repeat those same mistakes over again throughout history. You could revise uh, Santiana's statement to say, those who choose to ignore or flaunt the past are condemned to repeat it. It was a a perfect case in point, Uh, Adolf Hitler his attempted invasion of Russia in 1941. He began this invasion on June the 22nd, and it was almost 129 years to the day of another Russian invasion. Napoleon Bonaparte invaded Russia on June the 24th, 1812. Both failed to plan for Russian winter, and both ended up failing in their invasion. You you would think that... Hitler would have learned from Napoleon's mistakes, but you know, history is filled with those examples. We look back and we say, well, you know, why in the world did they not learn from the mistakes of those who had gone before them? Uh, we can look at the nation of Israel and say, why did they not learn from their previous mistakes? Yet time and time again, they failed to trust God. After God has shown himself faithful and shown himself powerful in incredible ways, they continue to doubt him. And we struggle in our world, in our own lives, to learn permanently the lessons from the past. You know, we, we know events, we see people make mistakes, but somehow in our minds we think, well, we could do it and do it different. We could, maybe we could succeed where they failed when a lot of the times we would do, do well just to learn from those mistakes and not attempt to repeat them. Uh, whether it be our forefathers, our ancestors, or just lessons uh, that we see in history, th- this was definitely true of the Israelites. And that's why Paul, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, Paul writes, Now I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea. They had seen, he's he's saying they had seen God's hand at work. They had been in the presence of God. And if you look at verse 5 of 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians 10, Paul tells us that God was not pleased with most of them. And the reason is because they would not learn these valuable lessons. And that's why, ultimately, they ended up in the wilderness. That's why they ended up wandering. Paul warns us the corinthians he warns us that they are an example for us that we should be willing to learn from their mistakes Uh, not only those you know in our lives right now our immediate history but the israelites they there's some lessons that you and i can learn from their failures so that hopefully we won't be doomed or condemned to repeat history and some of their history specifically This series that we've been in for the past several weeks on the life of Moses, his journey of faith. We're watching a guy that was just an ordinary guy that God called. Um, He lived in a world with challenges very similar to what you and I face every day. Uh, Sometimes he responded well to those challenges. Sometimes he didn't. Sometimes he didn't respond well at all. Yet, he made himself available to God, and God used him for his purposes for his kingdom. God used him in an incredible way to lead his people. You and I can learn from that. We're studying specifically the life of Moses to experience God's spiritual principles. So that we can live a spiritual life in Christ, so that we can live the life, you know, Moses wrestled with God's will for his life. He doubted God's plan for his life, but ultimately he submitted and experienced God's plan for his life. You and I have the same choice. We can either submit to God's plan and experience his best for us, his plan for us, his will for us, or we can resist, we can refuse, and we we don't get to experience God's best for us. My prayer is that we will. Now, if you look at the path of Exodus, again, we look at our map from last week. On the left side, you see uh, that purplish line is where we believe they... Uh, The route there's a couple of different opinions about the route of the Exodus. I believe that's probably it They cross the Red Sea and then the land in the middle is where they are wandering now that's where they are headed. They are wandering across the land headed up far right corner toward Canaan That's ultimately their destination It's gonna be a long time before they get there and a lot of the reason for that is because of their stubbornness now they are somewhere in the middle Wondering, following Moses, not knowing exactly where they are going, not even probably knowing if Moses knows where they are going, yet they are following. They continue. They begin this long journey. uh, The land of of Canaan, toward the land of Canaan, turns out to be a very long journey. Now, God has already proven himself faithful to them. Last week, we talked about the parting of the Red Sea. God made a way for them. He continues to make a way for them. He had proven himself faithful. The nation walks through the sea on dry land. The Egyptian army is wiped out by God, completely defeated. And they must have been amazed by this. We know they were amazed. How do we know they were amazed? Well, they sing a song about it. They sing about it. And they praised God. And in Exodus chapter 15... Verses 1 through 21, they continue to sing about God. And after the song, the Bible says in Exodus 15, 22, Then Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea, and they went out to the wilderness of Shur. They journeyed for three days in the wilderness without finding water. Uh, that's troubling. But this is where we find our first lesson that we learn from the Israelites, from God's provisions for the israelites and that is that god is gracious god is gracious now if you've experienced salvation you've experienced grace we see god's grace toward his people the nation of israel time and time again he leads israel into the desert three days with no water that's a long time to go without water it's a legitimate problem can we all agree on that that's a problem It's a real problem but you know they they come from the Red Sea huge huge letdown after that right okay God you got us through the Red Sea Red Sea for what now we're going to die of thirst that that's the way life is though isn't it how many times have you experienced a huge mountaintop experience and immediately after that some major challenge or some major trial follows I mean there's reasons for that God is testing them And there are times, even now, that we are tested by God. Many times in life, we have those huge experiences, and then immediately following, there's a trial. There's a test of some sort, and that's what's happening here. But they can be assured, as we can be assured, that this test is designed by God, and there's a purpose in it. Same with us. We face tests. We're in a test right now. We're in a time of testing. God designed it. He doesn't cause sickness. He doesn't cause evil. That's a result of living in a fallen world, but he sure does use pain and suffering. God never wastes a hurt. He never wastes a challenge if we will allow him to teach us. And here, he's got a purpose in this. Again, you look at the map. Somewhere in the middle, they are—I mean, that's that's a pretty long stretch of land. Regardless of which route you take, that's a pretty long stretch of land that they have to go. They're walking. There's no water. There's no water, drinkable water, anywhere around. They are in the wilderness. They are following Moses. Moses leads them. God leads them. Moses is ahead of them, following God, leading them out into the middle of the desert. And this huge, this huge stretch of land, no end in sight, no water to drink, they're troubled. This is what we would say is no man's land. I mean, they're in no man's land. They don't know. They've never been there before. They don't know where they're going. They don't understand what's happening. So why would God do this? Well, we know it's to test them. In Deuteronomy 8, if you fast forward to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, we read, remember that the Lord your God led you on this entire journey. This is after the 40 years in the wilderness, so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. I mean, he already knew what was in their hearts, but they needed to learn some lessons here. They needed to learn about God. They needed to learn about themselves. Our earthly, all of our earthly wilderness experiences are designed to develop us into the men and women of faith that God wants us to be. All of our wilderness experiences. God uses them. If we will allow him to work in our lives, he uses them to mold us, to shape us, to develop us into who he wants us to be so that we can be used for his purposes in the way that he wants to use us. All of these tests, in those wilderness experiences, it's remarkable how much we grow. Now, when we look at the nation of Israel, in the next few verses, Exodus 15, verses 22 through 27, we we get a summary of their entire wilderness experience. Forty years worth of experience. You can see a summary of a cycle of events that's repeated over and over again in the nation of Israel. And we're going to look at that in these few verses. These cycle of events. First comes abundance. They experience abundance. They've just gone through, part of God, part of the Red Sea. It was a time of abundance. And that's the first part of the chapter. Israel singing praises about God, His provisions, how He's taking care of them. But then comes the cycle of expectation they begin to expect abundance all the time and that's not reasonable nor would it be good for us if that's all we ever experienced in life yes god provides he takes care of us but we need those times of drought We need those times of testing because they force us into situations where we will learn things, will depend on God in ways that we don't in abundance, in times of abundance. But they begin to expect abundance. So then comes the third step. They're expecting it all the time. They are disappointed because they don't get abundance all the time. They don't get all that they want all the time. So they're disappointed, and then that leads to complaining. They begin to complain. But then, and here's the beauty of a God who is a God of love, they find God's provision, grace in his provision. You know, let's, let's, let's just walk through these verses together. You'll see what I'm talking about. Beginning in verse 22, Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea. That's the abundance, right? Parting of the Red Sea, God's providing, that's abundance. He leads them on from the Red Sea, and they went out to the wilderness of shore. There's expectation. They're expecting more abundance. They've just come through the Red Sea. They're expecting more. They're looking for another Red Sea experience. They journeyed for three days in the wilderness without finding water. There's the disappointment. They focus on their circumstances. They're no longer—they made this mistake when they came up on the Red Sea. They began to look back. They looked around their circumstances. They're not focusing on God. And they come across some water, but they find there's a problem with that water. Um, The place where the water is is called Mara. And if you've read the book of Ruth, uh, Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. I'm not blessed anymore. Call me Mara. I'm bitter. After she loses her husband, her son, she is now bitter. And that's the meaning. The water, the problem with this place is the water is bitter. It's undrinkable. Mara means bitter. And so They finally find water, but they can't drink it because it's no good. Verse 23, they came to Marah, but they could not drink the water at Marah because it was bitter. That's why it's named Marah. Um, So talk about disappointing. Three days without water, they finally find some water, but oh, guess what? You can't drink it. It'll make you sick. It's no good. So then they do what most of us would have done. They begin to complain. It leads to complaining. Verse 24, the people grumbled to Moses. What are we going to drink? The bitter water is, is symbolic. It's a symbol of their hearts. He, again, think of all that God has brought them through. And they immediately begin to doubt. They immediately begin to grumble. They be, immediately begin to complain. Their hearts are bitter. The water's a symbol of their hearts. They begin to look back. They look at their circumstances. Now they begin to look back. You know, when we complain as children of God, it's usually because we're looking back at what we think were easier days. The problem is our vision of the past is usually clouded. It's never quite as good as we think it was, as we remember. Nostalgia kicks in, and, and if we were really there again, we would remember that it wasn't really as good as we thought it was. But this leads, by God's grace, to the fifth step in the cycle, and that's God's provision. It's grace. The people are stubborn, but God is gracious. Suddenly God steps in and graciously meets their needs. Look at verse twenty five. So he, Moses, cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he threw it into the water, the water became drinkable. He made a statue and an ordinance for them at Mar and tested them there. So Moses cries out to God, as the nation as Israel should have done from the beginning. They didn't. They're looking at their circumstances, they're looking back, but Moses cries out to God, and God heals the water. It's called grace. Now let me show you what grace means. I need a volunteer. We can distance. I need a volunteer to play a game with me, somebody that's brave. All right. All right. Come on up. Yeah. There you go. All right. <laughs> come on. Climb on up. You come over here. Okay. I want you to say your name really loud for everybody to hear. Davis. Davis. This is Davis. All right. So, you ready to play a game? Are you sure you trust me? I think so. You think so? That's fine. You've seen too many of these, right? All right. So, Davis here. Here's the game, all right? We're going to play a little game. If you win, you get... You like chocolate? Okay. I okay, saw the Hershey bar. Okay. That's why you wanted to play, right? He saw the Hershey bar earlier. I guess was like... Okay. Okay. So, here's, here's the game. If you win, you get the Hershey bar, all right? If I win, I get to squirt you with a water gun. <laughs> do you do you still you still want to try I still want to okay good good I all right this. okay so here you need this all right all right does mom and dad is does he is it okay that he needs this I probably should ask beforehand okay so here's the game all right I want you to guess a number between one and 20 all right guess a number between one and 20 Eighteen. sorry man it was three three was the number you lose are you ready to get squirted no, it's, it's real. It's, it's for real, yeah. yeah. I may have hit the microphone, sorry. Hopefully. Sorry, Nathan. But, I mean, no, it's, you know, it's real. Are, are, you, are you ready? Are you ready? All right, tell you what, man. i tell you what. All right. It's better than I thought it was going to be. i tell you what. Here's what I'm going to do. I choose to show you grace. I'm not going to squirt you. I'm going to give you the chocolate bar instead. All right? All right, everybody. Give you got to give your parents a bite, though. All right, you know, that's grace, though, right? I mean, you know, I really did not pick three. You know, I guess if I would have written it and shown it to you guys first, it would have proven I'm not lying. But what he deserved was to be squirted, just like that. <laughs> Instead, I show him grace. I don't squirt him. But that, you know, that's obviously a, a humorous, a fun example of of. Grace, but that's what God. What did these people deserve? I mean, He had just delivered them from Egypt. He had delivered them through the Red Sea. Instead of giving them what they deserved, He gives them grace, and and that's that's the way God. I mean, they don't they don't deserve the provision He's about to give them, or He just gave them. But yet He takes this bitter water, He uses a tree, and He cleans it up for them so that they'll have something to drink. Once again, God's showing if you'll trust me. I will take care of you. They've already failed once. They've forgotten what he did. They're not trusting him. But God says, if you will continue to trust me, I will show you grace. And God sovereignly designs this as a test. This wilderness is a test. Um, the last verses of verse 25, the words of verse 25, he tested them there. Um, you know, no, nobody who belongs to God just happens to move into a time of testing. I mean, that's, you know, God... You know, you may make mistakes that lead you there. You may not do anything that leads you there. But God God has a plan in it, I guarantee you. He orchestrates those tests for a reason. Verse 26, we could call this learn from history. Verse 26, he said, If you will carefully obey the Lord your God, do what is right in his eyes, Pay attention to his commands and keep all his statutes. I will not inflict any illness on you that I inflicted on the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh who heals you. God says, if you'll walk in obedience to me, if you will trust me, I will surround you with my protection. I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. Um, I'm Yahweh, he says. I'm God. I will always, you know, every, I'll give you the provisions that you need. I'll take care of you. I won't give you everything you want. And that's where they had messed up, and that's where we tend to mess up. We think, okay, well, we'll just have whatever we want. We just have to ask God, no, I won't give you everything you want, but I'll give you what you need. I'll meet your needs. That's what God's saying. And then verse 27, then they came to Elam, where they were, there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms, and they camped there by the waters. It's pretty incredible. First, the wilderness, and finally, the water, and that's because God is satisfying, and that's lesson number two. You know, God is gracious. He gives when they don't deserve. He does the same for us, but he also satisfies. He satisfies our needs. If you look at chapters 16 and 17, they give us three life illustrations, uh, three tests or three illustrations of the tests that God gives Israel. Um, the cycle that we just looked at, we see illustrations. He puts his people through the test of time, through the test of hunger, and through the test of thirst. And what those represent. We see these tests play out in these, these two chapters. First, we see the test of time. Again, look at verse 16. The entire Israelite community, or chapter 16, verse 1. The entire Israelite community departed from Elam and they came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. Now, it's been, you know, 40 days, about a month and a half almost, since they left uh, Egypt, and, and immediately, out come the complaints. Verse 2, the entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Why are they grumbling? Well, again, they're looking back. They're, they're approaching test another test. They're, things aren't as good as they'd like for them to be. They begin to look back. Verse 3, the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. Now think about that. The Passover God spared them they were there they hear the screaming the crying the agony and they're saying if only we had died there or the Red Sea if only the Egyptians had killed us there instead of God you delivering us I mean that, how quickly we forget the things that God does for us times get tough if only we had died by the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted Instead, you brought us into the wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. It would have been better for us to die by their hands than to die of hunger, is what they're saying. And that's selective memories of the good old days. I spoke about it a few minutes ago. We look back, and we think of a time gone by, and it may have been a good time. But inevitably, we remember it better than it was. The problem is... We forget that when we were going through that, we were probably thinking about another time in the past and wishing we were there, too. We look back. In March of this year, we're thinking about February the year before because it was better, except in that February, we were thinking about July the year before because things were better then, but not as good as they were April the year before that. I mean, that's just the way we think. We think about things, and we remember them, I guess it's the grace of memory. We remember them better than they were. I don't say you should look back on your life and only think about the bad things. I think it's a gift that we're able to remember the good things over the bad things. But what the, the problem comes is when we're discontent in the present because we're remembering the past better than it actually was in the past. And that, that's, that's what they're doing, and they're doing it in a dramatic fashion. Oh, it would have been better if we'd have just died at the hand of the Egyptians. Instead of being rescued, delivered by God's hand, I would rather have done that than die of hunger instead of trusting God in the present. You know, you and I, we may be complaining about our current situations, but chances are, COVID or not, a year from now, we're going to be looking back on this more pleasant than it actually was. Because that's human nature. Human nature. Listen, we went through... The, the first great trial of our marriage was Hurricane Katrina, and it was tough. I mean, we lost everything that we owned, pretty much, a lot of uncertainty, brand new baby, and I kid you not, we look back on that time in a weird, fond way. I'm not kidding, because we forget about how our house smelled and having to rip out all the sheetrock and all the floor soaked with salt water and sewage and all of our stuff piled in the front yard. We don't think about that. We think about making it together, making it through, God providing, and all those are good things, but we, we tend to forget those things. And inevitably, we'll do the same here. So instead of fretting about the way things we wish they were or the way they used to be, how about let's focus on God? What do you want to teach us in the middle of this? What is it? that you're trying to show us in this test. What can we, how can we pass this? How can we move forward and grow the way you want us to? The test of time, though, which we've experienced a lot of time here, the test of time is the toughest test of all because we have to wait. Over the long haul, God is honing us through these tests, though. He's maturing us. He's molding us. He's shaping us stretching us, breaking us, crushing us to the point to where it's just an open arm dependence, complete and total trust in Him. That's what He wants. He wants total surrender, complete dependence on Him to the point to where we will, Lord, I'll give you, I give you my life. It's all yours, everything. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm, not, I'm 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 done trying to do it myself. My way doesn't work. I cannot do it better than you I, I trust you. I depend on you. You take me as I am You use me the way that I want Lead me where you want me to go and i'll follow i'll do whatever you want That you know, I don't know a lot But I guarantee you that's one of the things god wants us to learn through all this That's one of the things he wants from his people is complete and total surrender To make ourselves totally available to him so that whatever he has planned for us, we will be ready to do for his glory, by his strength, by his power, and for his name's sake. He wants us to surrender. That's one of the things, one of the ways God uses these tests to basically break us down to where we're ready to be used by him. To get all the junk out of the way. Self-dependence, you know, arrogance, pride. Stuff, whatever's in the way, anything that we would put in the place of God or put it between us and God, he wants it gone. He wants to remove it so that all we're focusing on is him. All that we're looking to is him and depending on is him. But then comes the test of hunger. The last part of, the verse, of verse 3, the Israelites cry out, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. Even though his people were grumbling, God graciously provides for their needs graciously provides for their needs. He gives them bread from heaven in the wilderness. Verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. God satisfies their need for hunger, but even there's a test in the middle of that too. Even with that, his provision, there's a test. Um, He's going to see if they're going to follow his instructions. Let's look at Several verses together. Just just follow along with me. Um, God stops all the grumbling by showing his glory. Verse 5 of chapter 16. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, This evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the Lord's glory. Because he has heard your complaints about him. For who are we that you complain against? Moses is saying, hey, you're not really complaining. You think you're complaining against us, but you're really complaining against God because he's the one that's in control. Verse 8, Moses continued, The Lord will give you meat to eat this evening and more than enough bread in the morning. For he has heard the complaints that you're raising against him. Who are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. As Aaron was speaking to the entire Israelite community, they turned toward the wilderness, and there in a cloud the Lord's glory appeared. The Lord spoke to Moses, I have heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will eat bread until you are full. Then you will know that I am Yahweh, your God. In the morning... Uh, So that evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. So here, again, here's the thing. The grumbling, they're, they're complaining to Moses, but their grumbling is really not against him. It's against God. Moses makes that clear. God is concerned with his glory. He deserves glory. And make no mistake, he is greatly concerned with his glory. Again, that's why he says... He does this, he's doing what he's doing so that the people may know that Yahweh is your God. Verse 12, that's why he's doing this, to bring himself glory. Yes, he loves his people, he wants to provide for his people, but he's showing grace. Why is he showing grace? Why is he providing? So that he will glorify himself. His name deserves glory. So he sends quail and manna. Now what's manna? Well, it's the bread that God has given them to eat. Verse 13, So at evening, quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, there were fine flakes on the desert surface, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, What is it? Because they didn't know what it was. So Moses told them, it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. God provided. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each person needs to eat. You may take two quarts per individual according to the number of people each of you has in his tent. So he gives specific instructions. So the Israelites did this. Some gathered a lot, some gathered a little. When they measured it by quarts, the person who gathered a lot had no surplus, and the person who gathered uh, a little had plenty um had they had no shortage each gathered as much as he needed to eat moses said to them no one is to let any of it remain until morning pretty clear right you gather what you need you eat it don't leave any overnight eat what you need eat what you've gathered but they didn't listen so they left some till morning part of it till morning and in it bred worms and it smelled Therefore, Moses was angry with them. They gathered it every morning. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, four quarts apiece. And all the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He told them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil and set aside everything left over until morning. They're thinking, well, wait a minute. We did that earlier. It went bad by morning. And he said, no, do it. It'll be fine. So they set it aside until morning, verse 24, as Moses commanded, and it didn't smell or have any maggots in it. It was just fine. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is the Sabbath of the Lord. Today you won't find any in the field. For six days you may gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Yet, on the Sabbath day, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they didn't find any. Seems to be a mental block here, right? <laughs> They're having a little trouble listening. Yet they went out and they gathered, of course they didn't find any. Verse 28, then the Lord said to Moses, "How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? I understand that the Lord has given you the Sabbath; therefore on the sixth day he will give you two days' worth. Leave this place, his place, on the seventh day." So the people rested on the seventh day, or no one is to leave his place, rather. God gives him instructions, all right? He says two quarts apiece every day of the week. The sixth day, gather gather four per person, twice as much. You'll have plenty on the Sabbath. They try to save some when they're not supposed to, and then they try to hoard some when they're not supposed to. But that's human nature. If we think we're going to go out, go without, we're going to try to gather as much as we can. You know, one of the interesting things that, that's happened during the pandemic—you've uh, heard of storm shelters and bunkers, maybe bomb shelters, things like that. Well, those who are wealthy, uh, bunkers, sales of bunkers have gone through the roof during the pandemic. Some some wealthy individuals have bought these bunkers so that they can stay. Uh, quarantined in these nice bunkers, so they won 't get sick and they 're using what we would have normally formerly used as storm shelters or bunkers uh, for storms or, or a bomb or whatever they 're using them to stay, stay away so that they can stay healthy but what 's amazing is how extravagant some of these are. I brought a few pictures uh, there 's a company selling these, and this it 's kind of hard to see, but this is the layout of one of them i mean you 've got a swimming pool on one end. You've got rooms on the other end, you've got a home theater, you've got a garage, you've got a kitchen. I mean, it's pretty extravagant, a place to grow, uh, some food. I mean, it, it's, it's pretty amazing what all these include. Let's, let's look at the other pictures. All, this is the swimming pool. I mean, that's a bunker. That's their swimming pool. All right, show you one more. There's the home theater room right there in the bunker. I mean, it's amazing how extravagant. Let me just give you an idea The Los Angeles Times ran this this report not too long ago. The cheapest one, the standard bunker, if you're interested, it's eight by 12 feet. It will only cost you $39,500. It's eight by 12 feet. Has bunk bed, an air filtration system, a kitchen counter, and a toilet. Everything you need to survive. If you want to go a step up from that, you can get one 2,400 square feet, a square foot bunker, for $539,000, if you're interested. That's not, that's not the best one, though. That one's called The Eagle. It has 42 bunk beds, 15 private bedrooms. Uh, no, no, the next one up, I'm sorry, has 42 bunk beds, 15 private bedrooms, a gun room, and a panic room. You can buy that one for $1,009,000, if you're interested. That's called The Fortress. All right. You may think that's the best, but there's one above that. It's called The Arist- Aristocrat. It's priced at $8.35 million. It has a gym, a sauna, a swimming pool, hot tub, billiards room. I think that's the diagram I showed you you to begin with. Greenhouse, a garage. It has air filtration to keep the virus out. You can stay there stockpiled with food for as long as a secure safe room. Years' worth of food. You don't ever have to leave your bunker if you want one of those. It's only $8 million. You know, you can manage that. We have a tendency to do that, don't we? We stockpile. We get, things get a little, I mean, goodness, it's a threat of snow in Alabama. Milk and bread are gone from the stores for weeks. We stockpile. We get concerned we may have to go without. Never really understood why milk and bread. Somebody, you can explain that to me later. Lived here my whole life, but that's what we do, right? We stockpile. That's what the Israelites did. Some of them got more than they were supposed to. And it went bad. They tried to save some in case they had to go without. They went out on the day they weren't supposed to, tried to gather some. God was very clear in his instructions. And so God says in verse 28, How long will you refuse to keep my commands? When are you going to learn? He's saying to his children, as we've probably said to our children time and time again. They can't even gather the manna that he's providing for them miraculously without disobeying they continue to disobey manna and the sabbath were gifts from god both of them he points that out in that passage these are gifts receive them follow my instructions i'll take care of you they can't even do that without disobeying the lord then commands that they remember his provision in verses 31 through 36 you know it's interesting that when the ark of the covenant comes around three items are put in that ark hebrews 9 verse 4 It contained the gold altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered with gold on all sides in which there was a gold jar containing the manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. So the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments were in there. Aaron's staff was in there and the jar of manna. Why the jar of manna? Why was that included with all the other stuff? Well, the manna reminds us that God is our daily provider. And we have to learn. We've got to trust him daily, daily provisions. And in John chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus says, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I assure you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives, the life, gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. We're coming up on the test of thirst in just a second. Manna points toward Jesus, the bread of life, the bread from heaven. Look at verse 49 of John 6. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came from heaven, came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At that, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, I assure you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, because my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live forever because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your fathers ate, and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. You know, the people that eat, the, the, the Israelites who eat the manna, eventually died. Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life. If you partake of me, if you feed on me, you'll never die. We need to feed on Jesus He's our daily provision. Remember, the point here is daily dependence. He is our daily provider. We have to look to him daily, submit to him daily. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, he humbled you, it says, by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your fathers had not known, so that you might learn what's well, the point? That man does not live on bread alone, but on the very word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I mean, we don't, it's not. He, prov- he provides for our physical need to show us that he can provide for our greater need, our, our, our spiritual needs, our spiritual hunger. And the only way that can be satisfied is through Christ. But it's here that we learn our third lesson, and that's that God is faithful. And this, this is the, the test of thirst. This is where this comes in. Once again, God leads Israel to a place without water. Chapter 17, verse 1. The entire Israelite community left the wilderness of sin, moving to one place from one place to the next according to the Lord's command. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So God gives Israel virtually the same test over and over again. I mean, this 3 times in a row we have the same test. They knew that God had saved them from Egypt, right? He'd led them out of Egypt. The, the plagues, he'd performed miraculous signs to, and wonders to to show Pharaoh, he was the one and only true God. They saved; he saved Israel from the Passover. He parts the Red Sea, so they walk right through on dry land. He saves their lives there from Egypt's army. He's leading them in a, by a pillar of cloud by day, a cloud by day, fire by night. He's provided water when they needed it, manna from heaven, quail. I mean, he's given them time, reason after reason after reason to trust him. He's provided for their needs. And he leads them now to their current location, once again, without water. No water, the test of water. Israel, though, rebels, they question, they question God's presence. And verse 2 tells us the people complained or quarreled with Moses. And that word quarrel is stronger than the word grumble that we just read a few minutes ago. It's stronger. They're, I mean, they're, they're kicking it up a notch. They're basically, not basically, they're not just arguing, now they're threatening Moses. Hey, if, if, if we don't get water, you're in for it. I mean, they're, they're threatening him. They're angry. And Moses asks, why do you quarrel with me? He's saying, if you've got to quarrel with anybody, it's with God. I and mean, he's already made that point. But they continue. He's attempting, he's trying, even with that statement, to turn their eyes from their current situation back to God. Because that's where they need to be looking, but they're not. And then verse 3. The people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you ever bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Same thing. Same song, third verse. Moses knows a threatening scene when he sees one. He knows he's in in trouble. So he cries out to God in verse 4. Then Moses cries out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? In a little while they're going to stone me. He knows they're threatening him. They're so angry that they are ready to kill their leader. They're furious, and they're lashing out at him. And once again, in the midst of all of this disappointment, they begin to complain. But the Lord is the judge, not Moses, not Israel, not anybody else. Israel is basically trying to put God on trial, and they're failing to recognize that he is the judge. And he's already proven himself more than he ever had to or needed to. But they're trying to put him on trial. But amazingly, God submits to it. He doesn't need to prove himself again. They're trying to put him on trial. How dare they? But God says, all right, fine. I'll prove myself once again. I'll show you. Instead of judging them in return, he shows faithfulness. He shows grace once again. By providing water from a rock. Look at verses 5 through 7 of chapter 17. The Lord answered Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders with you. Take the staff you struck the nile with in your hand and go. I'm going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. When you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massa and Meribah because the, the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? you know when you take grumbling complaining and and you boil it down to its root it's basically us asking god are you really there are you real i mean you put it in context here you think they would know that by now but ultimately when we do it that's that's what we're doing you know, when we're complaining about our current situation when we're discontented when we're unhappy regardless of who our the the recipient of our complaint is, if it's about our lives, our current situation, we're we're doubting God. God, do you know what you're doing? You've you've led me here. Are you sure you know what you're doing? Are you real? Are you really in control? That that's that's the question. That's that they're testing God, and that's why Moses names the place Massa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means strife. He did this to remind them that they were arguing with God, that they were putting God on trial. That's why he names it that. So what lessons can you and I learn from all of this? What are the lessons from us? Well, three, and we'll finish with these. Three lessons. It takes, number one, a humble attitude to learn from earthly tests. Humble attitude to learn from earthly tests. We've got to humble ourselves before God. You know, Proverbs 28, 26 basically says, don't even bother to beat a fool. He won't learn anything from the beating. Are we willing to learn? Are we willing to humble ourselves? Are we just going to keep taking a beating over and over again without being willing to learn? Biblical truth works, but it has to be applied to our lives. We've got to submit. We've got to be willing to submit. And that's one of the reasons why in the midst of this, this time that we're in right now, we need to be repeatedly asking God, Lord, what do you want me to learn in this? Please. And, and then we got to be willing to submit because if we don't submit, then you know, we won't ever fully learn the lessons that he wants us to learn. Number two, it takes a heavy attack to break a daily habit. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. The longer you've had the habit, the harder it's going to be to break. The more God may have to squeeze you in order to get you to let that go. You know, it takes, it takes a long time sometimes to get out of difficult situations because the habits we have are so very entrenched. So maybe God's asking you to break a habit. You know, we've got to allow God's Word to penetrate our hearts. We've got to learn the lessons. We've got to submit to Him. And we've got to let go of what He tells us to let go of, whether it's something good or something bad. If it's getting in the way of us serving God or trusting God, we've got to let it go. Sometimes, though, he has to repeat those tests over and over again like he did with the nation of Israel. Why do you think it took so long for them to learn this? Why did he keep repeating the test over and over again? Because it wasn't sinking in. They weren't trusting God from day to day. He had to keep repeating the test. They were in a habit. Remember those, that life in Egypt, all those lifestyles, all those habits that they had learned growing up, they were ingrained. God had to break them of that. And it took time. It took repeated tests. Number three, it takes a heavenly appetite to enjoy a heavenly diet. A heavenly appetite only comes from heaven. The Lord is the one who will re, he has to reshape our desires. That's what he's doing. Remember, lifetime in lifetime in, in Egypt, growing up with all of that influence, he's got to reshape their hearts. That's what he's trying to do. That's what he needs to do with us. We've got to let him reshape our hearts. What are we passionate about? What do we crave? we crave the bread of life or do we crave something else are we looking to God are we are we hungering for his word daily spending time with him daily Uh, God may need to reshape our hearts have you have any of you ever been lost like out in the woods gotten lost I have no sense of direction as a children's minister the joke whenever we would go somewhere the kids would always joke you know not not if I was going to get us lost but when and I would always take a wrong turn somewhere. I've just got a bad sense of direction. But I remember one time when I was a kid, I really got lost. A friend of mine, we were out in the woods and we got turned around and we were legitimately lost in the woods. Thankfully, uh, we found our way out. But I remember in that moment, neither one of us knew where we were. That's the most helpless feeling I can remember in my life not, not knowing where to go, where I was. You ever been lost? You ever had that feeling? It's helpless. You put yourselves in the Israelites' position. They're wondering. They're following Moses. Yeah, they believe in God, but you can kind of empathize with them a little bit, right? In the middle of a situation, you don't exactly know where you're going. Yeah, God, I believe you're real, but all of a sudden, there are no prospects for food or water. Don't know exactly what direction we're headed. Why are we going the long way around even if they do know where they're, where they're going? You know, what's, what it, we're lost, That feeling of helplessness sets in. Maybe that's where you are right now. And it may be any number of reasons, any number of things that's got you spinning in circles. It may be your marriage. It may be your job. It may be your health. It may be your kids. It may be some habit that you're having trouble breaking. It may be an addiction to a substance or a computer screen. Images on a screen. It may be your you're just your 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 own personal doubt Right You're struggling with who god is with what he's doing. You're having the same problem that the israelites did god. Are you there? Are you real? It may be any number of things causing you to spin in circles, but you know you're lost Maybe you really are lost spiritually. You've never experienced salvation You never accepted christ as your personal lord and savior. You you don't know where you're going because you right now you have no future you've got to. First, invite him into your life and accept the gift of eternal life. Maybe you're a child of God and you're spinning in circles. You're lost. Lord, what, what do you want me to do next? What's the meaning of all this? Where, what's your plan for my life? I've been there. I understand how frustrating it is to know that God has a plan for you, but him not to show you exactly what that is yet. He's got some things he wants to develop inside of you. I mean, there are any number of reasons why you may feel lost today. Maybe it's just the situation we're in right now. You just feel like we're, we're just wondering. You know, God, when is all this going to end? Whatever, whatever it is, I guarantee you that God, if you will allow him to, he, he's probably not going to give you all the answers today. All right, If he does, call me because I want to know him too. He's probably not going to give you all the answers today, but if you will do as Moses did, if you will just simply cry out to him, open armed surrender, he will come to where you are. He will meet you where you are. You may not have answers, but you can have him. And one day you will have answers. Is God trying to teach us the same lesson that he was teaching the Israelites? Daily dependence. Accepting his daily provision. Maybe that's one of the things he's showing us. I don't know, let's ask him. Father, we thank you for your provisions in life. Thank you that you meet us Even in the midst of our stubbornness, you meet us where we are. If we will just look to you. If we will trust you and depend on you. If we will lean on you. And that 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 happens the first time we look to you. When we come to know you as Savior. When we realize that we are in sin. That we've all fallen short of your glory that we've all made mistakes and when we really come to realize that under the conviction of your Holy Spirit and we cry out to you asking you to come into our lives and save us you you take us and you and you save us You do just that Maybe there's somebody out there today here or, or watching who who's never received the gift of salvation and They just need to to cry out to you now where you are believing Jesus that you died for their sins asking you to come into their life. Maybe there are those of us who are your children, who are lost in some way, who are we, we're wandering in the wilderness because of some habit, some idol that's in our life, some situation that we can't control, some area of our life that, that's causing us pain, that's causing us difficulty, that's causing us stress and anxiety. And we just need to trust you. We need to submit and allow you not only to be Lord over that situation, but Lord over our lives. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn the lesson of daily dependence, that we would learn to trust you for daily provisions, that we would look to you every morning and every day, all day, that we would learn to live in submission, open arm, bended knee submission, Lord, my life is yours. Take it, use it as you will. That that would be not just words that we say, but the life that we live. And if we do that, Lord, I know that you will honor that, that you will come to us, you will meet us on our knees. You will take us and use us for your glory. But if we're going to be used for your purposes, we've got to allow you to shape us and to prepare us for whatever it is that you have for us. Lord, I pray that we will allow you to work, to complete your work, so that we can experience the joys of being a part of your kingdom and working toward the fulfillment of your kingdom. God, we thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.